the residential industry in a certain marketplace where you have an office building goes down, the office space is certainly going to take a hit. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service, here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714, I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units. Go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. Mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today, Jillian Sedoti. How you doing, Jillian? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, nice to I have you. I can't believe it's the best ever. That's, I know. I love to under-promise and over-deliver. No. <laughs> Setting expectations really high right out of the gate, but that's okay because we've love it. I love it. I have heard a lot of good things. I was mentioning before we start recording, I've heard a lot of good things about you in particular. From I don't remember who, but I'm pretty sure it was multiple people. So uh, again, again, we are setting the bar really high for our conversation. (laughs) Well, a little bit about the best ever interviewee. Yeah, there we go. So a little bit about Jillian. She is a partner at Trowbridge Sedoti LLP. She's an expert on money-raising techniques for real estate companies. She speaks at seminars educating real estate investors on how to legally raise capital for investment projects. Prior to her legal career, she owned and operated a record label, enabling her to tour worldwide with artists. What an eclectic background. She is based in Los Angeles, California. So with that being said, Jillian, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, absolutely. As a matter of fact, what I always love to tell people who are hearing me for the first time is that I was in their position once where I was trying to raise money for my commercial real estate deals. That was actually before I started practicing law. I did condo conversions down in San Diego, and I literally 
didn't know how to get any more money. We had leveraged all of our properties to the hills, and we needed more money to get more deals done. And so I'm speaking from not just an attorney's point of view, but also from a real estate developer investor's point of view. And I get it, and I get the struggles with raising money and how it's sometimes easier, cheaper, faster to not do it legally correctly, but it's also way, way, way riskier. And at the end of the day, if you take shortcuts with raising money and going around the law, you're only going to realize that it's not easier, cheaper, faster, but actually more expensive, slower, and harder. Let's talk about taking shortcuts around the SEC guidelines Because this is really rarely talked about. What are the legal ramifications in terms of jail time or fees or whatever else that I'm not thinking of? The biggest thing that I think most people have to worry about isn't so much the jail time because jail time, you really have to commit a crime to go to jail, which means you have to commit fraud and you have to have the intent to commit fraud, the intent to steal, if you will, and take money from people. And that's very hard for the government to prove. We see it happen all the time, but it is hard for the government to prove. Most of the people who come to me or I run into have no intention whatsoever of committing fraud or stealing from anybody. They just want to run their real estate business and make money doing real estate. But where I see the shortcuts being taken is with the actual paperwork. And what ends up happening is really two things. One, the state and the SEC catch up with you, and they run on fines. That's how they make money. That's how they justify their existence is by generating revenue Mm -hmm. through fines. So they're looking for people who are not following the rules. And in recent history, you may or may not know that the Jobs Act changed it so the rules are a little looser. So this doesn't mean that regulators stop regulating. They're just going to look harder for people who are violating those rules so that they can raise money for their coffers. So the fines is the big thing. But I think the real threat is actually not the government itself, but your investors. Because if you don't do right by your investors, that not doing right by your investors, not following the law in the first place is going to be exhibit A against you in the trial against you when your investors come to sue you. And nothing necessarily even has to go wrong. It just could be you have a falling out with an investor or an investor needs their money back in the middle of the project. Well, how are they going to get it back if you're not very willing to give it to them? They're going to sue you and they're going to use all of this as evidence against you in order to get their money back. Let's talk about the most common legal mistakes that you've seen that investors make when raising money. The biggest one, the absolute biggest one, is when people don't understand what a security is and because that sets them up for failure. I'll use joint venture agreements as an example. I often hear people say to me, well, if I just use a joint venture agreement or call it a joint venture, then that's not securities and I'm in the clear, but that's not necessarily true. And by the way, I feel for real estate entrepreneurs and investors out there who are out there trying to do these types of techniques to avoid securities laws because there's a lot of bad information out there. I've sat in seminars myself where people say, if you just use a joint venture agreement, then you don't have to worry about any of these securities laws and you can do whatever you want. And that is simply not true. If you don't mind, I'll just real quick give everybody the test you can use when you know if securities laws apply to you. Can I guess what it is? 
You want it? Yeah, do it. Let's do it. Oh, this is going to be good. Okay, go. <laughs> is it if they are passive and expecting your expertise to generate a profit for them, then it's a security? That's very close. It's a four-pronged test. Investment of money. So that's kind of implied in what you said. Investment of money. They have an expectation of profit, absolutely. There's more than one investor. And one investor doesn't mean one investor in the deal. It means one investor and you you become the common enterprise. Several states have rules that look, you could have one investor per property, but if you have more than one investor, period, you're the common enterprise. And the fourth one you got, which was that through the efforts of a promoter, meaning that you're doing all the work, and the implication is, is that your investor is expecting for you to make the money work, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. I know we probably shouldn't think this way, but it's probably something that some listeners are thinking. What is the bare bones? If we want to say, okay, boy, the security stuff, a lot of paperwork, I'd rather do a joint venture. What's the bare bones minimum to qualify as a joint venture where you're skirting the line, but you're on the joint venture side of the line? That's a great question. And I get this all the time. It doesn't help me to take somebody's last dollar to do legal documents for them. One of the things that always makes me cringe is that attorneys get paid and then everybody else is left empty pocketed, if that's even a phrase. Maybe I just made that up. <laughs> is that why you all don't charge a fee and you just do equity ownership in every oh. deal? exactly what we do. I'm so wealthy right now because of all the money I've made on taking equity. Now, um, a lot of times I feel for people like this who are trying to do their first deal and they want their first joint venture partner and they don't know what to do. So I have a solution to the problem, but I want to tell people how to solve the problem themselves without necessarily coming to me, which is that what you want to make sure you do with your investors is not just simply have a joint venture agreement, but tell them all the risks associated with investing. Tell them the who, what, where, when, how, how much, and why. Like how much money do they need to invest? How are you going to use the money? Who are you? You have to disclose who you are, not just do a handshake and expect everything to be okay because if they find out you filed for bankruptcy five years ago and you didn't tell them, that is a material fact that could have influenced their decision to invest. And that's the test right there on what is it that you need to tell the investor. It's what material facts would influence an investor's decision to invest, and that's what you want to disclose to your investors. So. That's how you can do it yourself. Is there and a template? Is there a, somewhere where we can go and just like, okay, you just rattled off like five or six questions, which is great. Is there somewhere we can go and be like, okay, we're going to make sure we address these things and here's the copy for it? Or do we have to go to the attorney for that? That's my solution, actually. So by end of April, there is no like worldwide template you can just Google search for that I know of. You very well could, and I just don't know about it, but I do happen to know everything. So, <laughs> you know, there's that. But uh, <laughs> we do have a software that's going to come out. It's going to be a per-use software that you can go on. You literally put in all the information. You put your partner's information in, and it will spit those documents out for you, and it will be much less expensive than using an attorney. It's kind of like LegalZoom for the securities industry. And mm. so hopefully by the end of April, we'll have that launched, and I'll let you and all your listeners know about it. Outstanding. And where can they go to stay updated? They just go to your website, crowdfundinglawyers.net, and yeah, look for that? Yeah, you take a crowd 
Yeah, that would be perfect for right now. They can just go to crowdfundinglawyers.net. We haven't built out the site yet because we're kind of hemming and hawing on what to name it. Because <laughs> there's a, a couple of groups out there, real estate educators, if you will, who all want the software for their own platform. So you'll be able to find it in a couple of different places. And I'll let you know all those places where you'll be able to find it in the future. But as far as where they go, they can go to crowdfundinglawyers.net. They'll get more information on it, right? Yeah, I want to encourage people to email me at jillian at crowdfundinglawyers.net, and we'll add you to the list when it all comes out, too. All right, sweet. There we go. So what other legal mistakes have you seen investors make that you've had to clean up? The big one is people who start funds and then don't file Form Ds. So a Form D is a really simple form that gets filed with the Securities Exchange Commission and the state securities boards. It gets filed in the states where you have investors. For example, you guys are in Colorado. In Colorado, it's actually really simple to do to file that Form D. You just send it in, and it's a $75 fee there. It's not expensive at all. Now, there's other states that are much more expensive. For example, the state of Texas is $500. The state of Pennsylvania is $525. So there's some states that are really expensive, and then there's some states that are not expensive at all. For example, the state of Florida is free. But one of the first things a state securities regulator will go to when realizing that perhaps some things wrong is they'll look to see if you filed the Form D. And in certain states, they're very rigid about this. Like, for example, the state of Arkansas, if you don't file your Form D in a timely fashion, they charge you, I believe, $500 per investor in the state of Arkansas. It's expensive. It can get costly. You only have to file in the states where you have investors? That's absolutely correct. And honestly, if you haven't done it before and you're not sure about it, I strongly encourage you to call somebody like myself to help out with that. There is a learning curve on how to file them. It's a simple form, but some of the states take it electronically. Some of them take it paper. The SEC only takes it electronically. So you want to kind of figure out how to do that. And there is a process. Do people actually file actual syndicators without lawyers file their own funds? Is that You're going to laugh at this. I had this group call me and ask if I would fund for them. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. I don't hear from a while. I hear from them again and go, so we did our fund, but we want you to take a look at it or we want you to do the next one. We had to get the last one done in a hurry, blah, 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 blah. So I said, okay, that's fine. Why don't you send me your old fund so I can take a look at it? And it was funny because they sent me my own paperwork. Like they had gotten a copy of paperwork I had created before and reverse engineered it and put their own information (laughs) into it and called it a day. And I don't think they realized that it was our firm's paperwork. But I see that all the time, and I knew the answer I was going to get when I asked them, did you file your Form Ds and where did you file them? The answer was pretty much, uh, what's that? So it happens all the time. I don't understand that. I don't understand. This really is nor here nor there. I just don't understand why a group would take it upon themselves to file the fund. You have to file it through the SEC, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is all you're filing is the Form D. The fund itself is your own documentation. So all you're filing is a five-page Form D with the Securities Exchange Commission. The Securities Exchange Commission 
nor the states review your actual offering documents. All we're saying in the Form D is that we're using this exemption. We're letting you know we're using this exemption, and that's it. It's the drafting of the paperwork by the attorney that's vital, and you want to make sure that it's correct. You want to make sure it's as tight as a drum as you can possibly get. I mean, there's always holes you can poke in something, but that's why you want to use a security attorney. I'm an attorney, so it's hard for me to say don't use an attorney, but I feel like it's kind of foolish to not use an attorney when you're doing this type of stuff. It's just so risky. I agree. Yeah, it it makes no sense. I can tell you one thing I'm guilty of, and it's along these lines, so I don't want to act like I'm purely innocent of bypassing all the processes with an attorney, but one of the things I'm guilty of, after three or four syndications and seeing the PPM, my partner and I realized, hey, there's some redundancies or there's a path that seems similar every time with updates that the attorney's doing. So what we did in order to save time and money, we made the updates, track the changes and sent it to the attorney and then they updated it and that saved us time and money. What are your thoughts on that? I don't have a problem with that per se. We generally speaking don't send word documents to our clients, but sometimes if a client is just so, hey, look, this is the way we want to do it, I'm happy to comply with that. It's more for their protection than my being a control freak. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a control freak, so I don't mind if you want to change your own documents, but it's really just for your protection more than anything else. Anything else come to mind as far as common mistakes You mentioned not knowing what a security is and talking about security versus a joint venture. You also mentioning filing form D. Anything else come to mind? So the biggest mistake I think people make beyond all this, because all of this is irrelevant if you're not raising any money. The biggest mistake I see people make in raising money actually isn't a legal thing, but a marketing thing. And what that marketing thing is that they're not consistent with the marketing message at all. You got to pick a marketing message and then stick to it. I'll be honest with you, Joe, you're a perfect example of this. You have this best ever moniker or tagline, I don't know what you would name it, branding, and you stick with that throughout your branding. And I think that's really key to giving the same message so somebody knows exactly who you are and what you're doing and what tone they can expect from you going forward. And it reminds me of one of my toddlers. I have three boys. And one of them, when he was a toddler, he would try something for like 30 seconds and then go, oh, I can't do it too hard, too hard. (laughs) And that's kind of what I feel like with real estate entrepreneurs when they go out to start raising capital. They try, say, a Facebook ad campaign and after a week give up because they're not getting any traction. And yeah, because you have to have a consistent marketing message going forward. Only if it's 506C, they do a Facebook advertising campaign, right? Correct. But the thing (laughs) is, is it's not just 506C, right? Because people were raising money for their deals before 506C ever existed. And what were they doing? Well, their consistent marketing message just wasn't about raising money. It was about the company itself. Right, right. So, for example, I won't even use a real estate company. I'll use Apple as an example. Apple never went out at a shareholder meeting and said, hey, everybody, buy our stock. We think it's going to go up. Steve Jobs would come out with all this bravado and talk about, look at I just created this iPod, and it can hold a 1,000 songs, and there's nothing else like it on the market. And the market recognized that and then reacted to that. They didn't recognize that 
Apple needed shareholders, they recognized that this iPod was an amazing invention that they could capitalize on. And it's the same with real estate. I invest in apartment buildings in Texas, and here are some of our apartment buildings that have done really well. We're really excited to make this acquisition in Houston. And just to always have that consistent marketing message. It doesn't need to be about hey, everybody, I'm looking for investors. As a matter of fact, I think the education-based push-pull strategy is way better than a push strategy of saying, earn 15% on your money, act today. I agree, by the way. And my background is in marketing, and I embrace everything you just said about that. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever for investors? My best ever real estate investing advice. Well, my my investing advice might be different than somebody else's because I've learned very much the hard way that I'm a much better passive investor than I am an active investor. So I really do rely on others for great real estate opportunities. Right now, personally, I'm pulling out of all single family. I might be a little premature in that, but everybody's telling me I'm a little premature in that from what I can hear, but I'd rather be premature than too late. So that's what I'm doing right now and trying to get into more self-storage and some value-add opportunities. I've invested in some apartment buildings. I just haven't seen anything in recent history that I've been super comfortable with investing in. I have invested in some office buildings as of late, but that can be scary because if the residential industry in a certain marketplace where you have an office building goes down, the office space is certainly going to take a hit. So I'm not the best person to ask for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. You've given some incredible advice from a legal standpoint, and that's really the focus of our conversation today. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Oh, yes. Okay, let's do it. Doesn't that sound like fun? That sounds exciting. (laughs) First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at thereifoundation.libson.com. All right, what's the best ever book you've read? I think How to Win Friends and Influence People, that's probably it. What's the best ever deal you've done knowing that you also are an investor? Oh, the best ever deal I've done. I think the best ever deal I've done is actually a biotech firm, if I'm going to be fair. Uh, But the best ever real estate deal I've ever done was I invested in an apartment building in Kansas City and they refinanced the apartment building and then they paid all the investors back and yet we're still owners in the building. So that turned out to be a great deal because I got all my money back and I'm still making money from it. Absolutely. What is the best ever way you like to give back? I have a couple of things I do. I'm actually the CFO 
which is glorified bookkeeper for a nonprofit that tries to prevent human trafficking. And so that's the biggest thing I donate to. Actually, one of my goals is to give $100,000 away in a year. So I'm working on that now. What would you say is the biggest mistake or any mistake that comes to mind on a deal or transaction that you've done? Not necessarily in real estate, but in life in general, is not looking into more carefully the partners that you partner with. I've gotten into some pretty terrible business relationships, and I think at the end of the day, at least one of them could have been solved with a quick couple of phone calls to a quick couple of references. Mm. Any particular question that you'd make sure that you asked during those reference calls? Basically, how do they handle conflicts? How do they work under pressure? What is the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? Probably email Jillian at crowdfundinglawyers.net. Also, find me on Facebook, Jillian Sidoti. Jillian Ivy Sidoti is my full name. And you can friend me. I don't bite. I'll be <laughs> request. If we don't have a lot of friends in common, just make sure you write me a little note so I know to accept your friend request and that you're not some weird person fishing from like Nigeria or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jillian, really enjoyed this educational conversation, that's for sure. And the most common legal mistakes that you've come across as it relates to raising money, one, not knowing what a security is. So we have that four-pronged test, investment of money, expectation of profits, more than one investor, and their passive. The other takeaway is People who file on their own for whatever reason, I don't know why, but not filing a Form D, just make sure you work with a securities attorney on that. That's an easy one. And then the third is not necessarily a legal, but more of a success mistake or lack thereof is not having consistent marketing messaging throughout your entire presentation or your business approach. And then also talking about the ramifications of what happens when you don't follow the rules and you talk through that at the very beginning of our conversation. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals Make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at com.